Luke 19, Part 2, spoken by Pastor Clayton Chan. Good morning, Metro. I just want to welcome you all here today. And for those of you guys who are listening at the nursery or online, we're just glad that you're with us also. If we could just bow our heads as we begin to go into God's Word. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you are a God who looks after us. You are a God who cares for us. You are a God who loves us. You are a God who shows mercy to us, Lord. And so just as we sang this morning, God, you are good. You are so good to us. And I pray, God, this morning that we would just have our hands open, that our palms would be open before you, and that we'd be ready, God, to receive whatever you have in store for us this morning. I pray, Father, that as we look into your word, your beautiful word, that it wouldn't just be head knowledge for us, but it would impact our hearts, that it would transform us, that we would respond to your truth. And so, God, I pray that this time would really be a time of worship to you, that as we read your word, we would come to understand just how much you love us, and that we would respond to you with surrender. So thank you. We pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. I love kids. I don't have any of my own, but I am a proud uncle to two beautiful nephews. If we could just get a picture up there on the screen. So here is one of my nephews. I love his curly hair. But his name is Arturo. And I know, I know what you're thinking. One day, he's going to look at his half-Korean, half-Chinese dad and his Laotian mom and wonder, why do I have an Italian name? <laughs> right? And that's a story for another time. But I love him. And I'm, unfortunately, I don't get to spend as much time with him as I'd like because he lives in Boston with my family. But a couple of months ago, I was able to spend extended time with him when my brother and his family came to visit New Jersey. And so New Jersey, what is New Jersey known for? And so what we did was go to diners, because Jersey is known for their diners. We ate a lot. And we also went to the malls, because Jersey has a lot of malls. But we didn't really shop for anything. We really window shopped for most things. But the other thing that we did was actually some of the touristy things. So one of the things that we, one of the places that we went to was the Liberty Science Center. And so, yes, it's really fun there. If you haven't gone, go. There's a lot of activities. Even for some adults, there's more interesting things. But one of the things I learned at the Science Center about my nephew was that he hates to hold hands. He refuses to do it. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if it's his parent. It doesn't matter if it's me. He will not hold hands. And so I would try to wiggle my finger into his palm because that's one of my favorite things to do with kids. And And the closer I got to him, the further his hand went. This whole time while we were at the science center, I I wanted to hold his hand, but he would just run away from me. And the only time he would stand still or sit still was when he would plop himself on the ground and he would just start spinning the wheels of his stroller. For some reason, he has a fascination with wheels. And so my time with him can be summed up as chasing him around or just watching him spin these wheels. But my time at the science center, all I wanted to do was just hold his hand, hold my nephew's hand, and lead him to all these interesting, exciting exhibits. I wanted to share with him or to show him that there's so many more interesting things than the wheel he was spinning. But he refused to be led. 
He wanted to be the boss. He wanted to be in control. He wanted to do as he pleased. And I think sometimes it's like that with God. God wants to take our hand and to lead us to experience all these great things, to be blessed, but we refuse to be led. We refuse to be led and allow God to move us and shape us. And because of that, we miss out on those blessings. Do you want to be blessed today? If you want to be blessed today, just raise your hand. Good, I see most, if not all of you guys raising your hand. We all want to be blessed, and God wants to bless us, but it requires us to let him lead our lives. It requires us to make him the king over our life. We think that blessings come from us being king, but true blessings come from the one true king, and that's Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to be taking a look at how we can make Jesus the king over our life. And to do so, we're going to take a look at Luke chapter 19, verse 11 through 27. So if you have your Bibles with, with you, please turn with me to Luke chapter 19, verse 11. Verse 11. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit, so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given but as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. This parable is the last parable that Jesus gives in the, in the Gospel of Luke. And it comes at the heels of Zacchaeus receiving salvation. As the people were gathered at Zacchaeus' house, Jesus takes this opportunity to teach. And so we're told in the word that he teaches this parable because they were near Jerusalem and the people believed that the kingdom would appear at once. Jesus was on his way towards the cross. What lay before him in Jerusalem was his death. And Jesus wanted to tell his followers that he would be gone for a little while 
And he didn't want them to be confused about his kingdom. Many believed that Jesus had come as a ruler or a judge. And he would overthrow the ruling powers and enact his kingdom. But what they failed to realize is that the kingdom of God is one of humility and sacrifice. In the parable, Jesus says that a noble man goes to a far distant country to be appointed king and then to return. Jesus was teaching that as the king, his kingdom was one of the present but also the future. Yes, the kingdom of God was present with Jesus, but it would not be fully realized until the future. Jesus was informing his disciples and followers that he would leave them for a little while but return. He was heading towards a cross where he would be crucified, buried, and raised to new life with God the Father. But he would return one day. And when he does return, he has a question to ask. Have you made me king over your life? Have you made Jesus the king over your life? This question is more than just what we say or publicly declare with our lips. But it's about how we live our lives. Or in other words, to whom do we live our lives for? In the parable, there were subjects who, had, who hated the nobleman and sent a delegation after him to oppose his kingship. They rejected him as the king. These people allude to the Pharisees, Sadducees, and anyone else in Jesus' time who rejected him. In our day, these would include anyone who rejects Jesus as Lord and Savior and therefore rejects him as king. But then there's another group in the parable. The servants represent those who are part of God's community. They include those who are part of a church and who know of God. But we know that knowing of God is different than knowing God. We can know things about God and yet still not have a personal relationship with him. We can confess God with our lips and yet still refuse to confess him with our lives. We say, thy kingdom come Thy will be done. But what we really mean is, my kingdom come, my will be done. We like the idea of being part of God's kingdom, but we forget who the king is. Oftentimes we look to Jesus to serve our purposes instead of looking to the ways that we can serve his purposes. What we really want to tell God is, I like you, but I'm not ready to relinquish control. And I still really do like being the king over my own life. And this is a sad place to be because if we only knew how good God was, we would gladly surrender our lives to him. Have you made Jesus the king over your life or do you insist on being the king of your own life? Either you will submit to God's authority or you will be your own authority. Pastor Peter spoke about this uh, last week, following Jesus on his own terms. Are we following Jesus on his terms? Many of us have been following Jesus on our own terms, choosing to follow him when it's convenient. We choose to obey God when it benefits us. But the moment it becomes an inconvenience, we're so ready to give up on being obedient. We're okay with being a Christian and sleeping around. We're okay with being a Christian and lying. We're okay with being a Christian and gossiping and cheating on our taxes. We're okay with all these things, even though these things contradict Jesus' teaching on what it means to be a Christian. It's easy these days to pick and choose what parts of the Bible we want to follow. But Jesus makes it clear that we will have to take an account for how we live. Our actions will speak to whether we are the king or Jesus is king. 
If you want to know who the king of your life is, just look at how you live. Making Jesus king means that we serve and live for him. It means that we choose kingdom values over the world's values. It means that we live in a way that connects people to God. It means that if Jesus is king of our lives, we reflect him to others. We build up his kingdom. And this isn't easy. If this was, if this were easy, then everyone would do it. The way to Jesus' kingdom is not easy, but it is rewarding. Jesus blesses those who are faithful. In the parable, we see that there are two servants who are faithful, and they, were, and they received a reward. In verse 17, the master says, You have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take ten cities. God's blessings far outweighs our faithfulness. Amina was worth three months' wages. It was about 100 days' wages. And yet this was a small matter in compared to the ten cities that, God, that the king gives the first servant. When we are faithful with the small things, God blesses us with greater things. In comparison, we see that the third servant was not faithful with what he had been given. And in turn, everything that he had was taken away from him. In verse 26, it says, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. God wants to bless you. And notice that the blessing in the parable isn't more money. In this case, it's more responsibility. The blessings that God gives to us isn't always money. It can be, but there's so many other ways that God blesses us. I think one of the greatest areas that God blesses each of us is in relationships. When you make Jesus the king over your lives and live with kingdom values, what naturally happens? People naturally gravitate towards you. And his blessings are not just for the present time, as we've read. God promises to bless us in the future. That means that when we get into heaven, we will be rewarded. We will be rewarded in heaven for how we live in the present. God wants to bless you, but will you allow him to? Are you ready to make him the king over your life? And I think there are three ways from the passage that we see that we can declare Jesus as the king over our lives. The first, we invest in God's kingdom. We invest in God's kingdom. When the nobleman had given his servants a mina, his intention was to see if they would be faithful with what, they had, what he had given to them. He wanted to know whether they would do, as he said, to put his money to work. The nobleman who eventually becomes king has given each of his servants a mina and he takes an account for how they used it. He calls his servants to him and three people, three servants report back. The first comes and reports that the master's mina has earned ten more. And just stop for a moment, take a look at that. The servant says, your mina has earned ten more. We see that clearly he sees what he's been given as the master's. He was a steward of it, and he used it to build up the master's kingdom. And because he did a good job, to the, to the delight of the king, in verse 17 it says that the king responds, Well done, my good servant. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The focus of the king's reply is not how much was gained, 
It was on how faithful the servant was. The newly appointed king praises the servant for his trustworthiness. God doesn't care for success. He cares for surrender. He cares if we are faithful to him. Are we being faithful with God's resources? Are we being faithful with God's resources? And I think the greatest resource of all is you. Each one of you was created uniquely and wonderfully. You guys are all so capable, more than capable. You guys are extraordinary. You have gifts, passions, talents. You are God's greatest gift. You are God's greatest resource. And I know that because God's answer for a broken world is you. What resources has God given to you? What skills, passions, opportunities, and even financial stability or wealth has God blessed you with? From person to person, the resources may look different, but faithfulness looks the same. Faithfulness means that we use what God has blessed us with to build up his kingdom. Think for a moment. Where do you have influence? Think about the people that you're surrounded by on a daily basis. If you're a student, maybe that's in school. If you work, maybe that's your company. If you're married, maybe that's your spouse or your children. If you're single, maybe that's just your friends. But not just the people that we know. Think about all the other people that we come across. What if God's asking you to bless that homeless man that you pass by every day as you go to work? Or maybe he's given you a passion and a voice to speak out on a social justice issue. Who and what has God blessed you with to build up his kingdom? And what about the church? What ministry at Metro is God calling you to serve in? Serving is not an option. It's not like some people are called to serve and others aren't. Serving is for all of us, but we get to decide where we serve. What talents, gifts, and knowledge has God blessed you with to bless his church, to bless Metro? Just as with the noble man in the parable, Jesus has gone to be with the Father, but one day he will return and ask, have you been faithful in investing in my kingdom? The way that we declare Jesus a king over our lives is to invest in his kingdom. And the second way is to live with integrity. We declare Jesus the king of our lives when we live with integrity. In the parable, the servants had a decision to make. Would they align themselves with this noble man or not? Would they declare him as king even before he was appointed king? The noble man's journey to be appointed king wasn't just an implication that Jesus would leave for a little while, but it was also in reference to the kings of the past. For anyone hearing this parable at that time, they would have thought of King Herod and his son Archelaus. Both King Herod and his son Archelaus went to Rome to receive a ruling authority from the emperor. Herod was made king, but in Archelaus' case, he wasn't popular. There was public outcry about his kingship, and so Rome responded by not giving him authority. There was no guarantee that the noble man in the parable who goes off to be appointed king would actually come back as king. And so each servant had to decide whether they saw him as king or not. 
To be a steward of the master's resources meant that they were telling the whole community around them that he was king even before he was appointed king. The servants had no incentive to do the master's bidding. The smart play would have been just to wait it out and see what happened before acting. And that's exactly what the third servant does. But the fact that the first two servants took the mina and put it to work proves that they viewed this noble man as their master and king. Jesus wants to know if you will declare him king as you wait for his return. It's easy to stand firm in our faith when everything is going well. It's easy to say that we love God when we're at church amongst brothers and sisters. It's easy to say that God is good when you have nothing to lose. But what if you had everything to lose? Will you follow Jesus in all circumstances, even in those circumstances that aren't easy? We are blessed to live in the United States where there is religious freedom. For the most part, we won't be persecuted for our discipleship to Jesus. And yet, our devotion to him can be fickle. We lack integrity. The Merriam-Webster definition for integrity is firm adherence to a code of especially moral or artistic values, right? Firm adherence. We are to hold firm to our beliefs in who Jesus is. We are to hold firm to our beliefs that Jesus is our king, regardless of the situation or circumstance that we are in. We need to strive to live with integrity. And that doesn't mean that we always will. We're still sinful people. We still make mistakes. And that's okay because God's grace covers that. But if God is king, we strive to live with integrity. We can't pick and choose when we want God to be king. Nowadays, Christianity is so cool and hip, right? There's some church services that are like concerts. And I think that here at Metro, we're blessed with great worship. But what if that worship didn't exist? What if there was one person with one guitar, with one mic worshiping? Would we worship the same way? Or for instance, what if there was no worship? What if the power went out just like it did this morning in first service? And there was no voices, there's no songs, there's no instrument. Would we worship God the same way? Will we worship God when it's difficult? Will we worship him when everything is going wrong? Will we continue to worship him when we lose our job or receive a heartbreaking diagnosis? Can we still declare that God is good even in those moments? We declare Jesus the king of our lives when we live with integrity. And one of the ways that we can grow in integrity is to be open to feedback. Find someone who will be your greatest supporter, but also honest enough with you that they will give you feedback. We all have blind spots, and I think the more people we have talking into our lives and keeping us accountable, the more aware of those blind spots we'll be. My wife, she's great at this. Without fail, I can always rely on her to call me out when I'm not being consistent. Right? Just the other week, I was talking to an airline representative on the phone. Uh, I've been planning our vacation to Korea, and I noticed that the ticket or the name on the ticket for her ticket didn't match her passport. So I called in to see if I could get it fixed. And so I thought it would be a simple fix. All they had to do was just add her middle name to that ticket, and we'd be good. But as I was talking to this representative, she said that there was nothing that they could do. That once a ticket is issued, that they can't change it. And so we had two options. The first, we take a chance 
and go to the airline, and hopefully they let us in, even though the, uh, the name on the ticket and the passport don't match. Or the second is we just cancel that, uh, we cancel that ticket and try to reissue one. But the representative was telling me that there's such a long wait list that we wouldn't be able to get that. We wouldn't be able to have our spot anymore. And so there was no solution to this. And frustrated with her answers, I just started speaking rudely to her. I started raising my voice. I started cutting her off. I started just to, to question her intelligence and the policy. I was so frustrated that there was no solution that I was anything but Jesus to her. And when I hung up the phone, my wife let me know that. And she was right. I wasn't living with integrity. I wasn't consistently being obedient to God. I would never have spoken to my wife or to you or to Jesus in that way. And I had no right to speak to that representative that way. And so right there, I had to repent and confess of my sins. Integrity is a mark of God's kingdom. As people, part of God's kingdom, we strive to live with integrity. We declare Jesus the king of our lives when we invest in his kingdom, when we live with integrity, and the last, trust Jesus wholeheartedly. Trust Jesus wholeheartedly. The third servant was connected to the noble man and had every opportunity to be part of his kingdom, but we see that he was rejected in the end. Why? Because he didn't trust his master. He didn't trust that his master was good. Look at verse 21. His description of the newly appointed king is, I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. The third servant didn't trust that the master was good. Despite all that he had experienced, he still didn't trust that his master was good. But his words have no merit. We see from the parable that the master has not been a hard man at all. It's quite the opposite. He has been generous. From the beginning, he gives each of his servants a mina to work it. And not only that, we see that those who have been faithful receive a rich reward. So over and over again, we see that this master was not a hard man. In fact, he was generous. The reason the third servant does not act faithfully is because he doesn't trust in the goodness of his master. Just because we are connected to a community or go to church doesn't mean we actually trust God. Even though we've experienced God's goodness over and over again, we still find it hard to trust him. God has been so generous and good to us, and we don't have to look further than the cross. Jesus, as king, sacrificially gave up his life for us to save us from sin and death. And yet, we still question if God's actually looking out for our best interests. But take a moment and think about how good God has been in your life. Think about the relationships that he's given to you. Think about your career, your family. Think about your financial stability. These are all ways that God has been good to you. But not just what we have. Think about who he is. Our God is a comforter who comforts us when we are in difficult moments and mourning. Our God is a provider who provides for our needs. Our God is a redeemer who redeems our brokenness and our failures. Our God is a healer who heals us when we're sick. 
Our God is faithful even though at times we may be unfaithful. This is the God that we serve. This is his goodness. He is good because that is part of his character. To declare him as king is to trust in him wholeheartedly. And if you, want to tr- if you want to grow in your trust in God, I have two suggestions. The first, be a student of God's word. If you want to grow in your trust in God, you have to spend time with him and in his word. How are you going to learn of God's goodness unless you read the Bible? The Bible is God's love letter to us. Over and over again in it, we see that God is faithful to his people. And guess what? Part of his people is us. The Bible is God's story in history. And that history includes you. The third servant in the parable is a great example of someone who's part of the kingdom and yet has no personal relationship with the king. If your only interaction with God is a sermon on a Sunday, you will never be able to connect with God at a level where you will trust him as king. God's goodness is tied to his character, and unless you connect with him on a personal level, your view of God will be shaped by your circumstances and situations. When everything in life is going well, God is going to be good. When everything's falling apart, God's going to be, just like the servant said, a hard man. And I understand some of you are going through a difficult situation right now. That doesn't mean that God isn't good. God's goodness is seen in that he's with you right now. And he will see you through this difficult moment in your life. Despite our circumstances and what life brings, God always remains God. And he's right by our side. What a great gift, God's presence. Spending time in God's word will grow our trust. And I think the second way we're going to grow our trust in God is to find a soulmate or accountability partner. We never trust Jesus more than when we can share our brokenness with others. Don't live your life with secrets. We were created for intimacy, and that can't happen unless we are fully known. Jesus Jesus promises that when two or three gather in his name, he is present. Can we make this a spiritual practice in our life? To confess our sins with one another. And I just want to add, when you meet with your accountability partner and share and confess your sins with each other, make sure you also tell your accountability partner that their sins have been forgiven. That's how they're going to experience God's goodness, to know that nothing could ever separate them from God's love. To know that it doesn't matter how many times we fall, how many times we make mistakes, that Jesus, his love is unconditional. That's how we experience God's goodness. For me, I I love kids. One of the reasons why I'm still in youth ministry after 10 years is because I love kids. And it's not just older kids, not like high schoolers, but I just love, I even love babies. Right? I feel like, I tell my wife this all the time, I feel like I'm a baby whisperer. I've never met a baby that I couldn't make smile. And so even for myself, I always dreamt of having a big family. At first, I wanted five kids. And the reason why is because I wanted to start my own basketball team. Right? <laughs> Starting five, and I could be the coach. But over the years, my wife has talked me down, and so we're, we're really about two or three now. But one of the hardest things 
one of the hardest things to do is to trust God when things don't go your way. Esther and I have been trying to get pregnant for a while now, and it just hasn't happened. It's been really tough. This is something that we want so badly, and we feel like it's biblical. Right? God did say, be fruitful and multiply, and yet it hasn't happened. And so it started to, we started to question our faith or question our trust in God. We started to ask questions like, is there something wrong with us? Is there something biologically wrong with us? Or why hasn't God granted us this? It's been stressful as each month has passed by and we haven't seen any fruit. But the one silver lining in all of it, the one positive that has come out from it was that we've had to learn how to depend on God more. The thing about trust and faith is that it can't grow. Trust and faith, they don't grow unless they're tested. Faith and trust can only grow in difficult situations. For us in this season, we've had to ask the question, will we continue to worship God even if we can't have kids? Will we continue to say that God is good even if he doesn't give us what we want? And we are more confident today that Jesus is our king and that we will continue to praise him despite our circumstances and situations because that is who he is. And we know that he's with us along this process and along this, this hard season in our life. Metro, you have a decision to make today. Is Jesus the king over your life? Will it be your will be done or my will be done? God is waiting for you to make him the king over your life. And what that's going to entail is that you invest in his kingdom, that you live with integrity, and that you trust in Jesus wholeheartedly, even in the darkest moments. Metro, will you make Jesus the king over your life and take hold of all the blessings that he has for you? Let's pray.